Welcome to episode 43 of Val F. Bay Stuttgart Americana, an American-based English language Val F. Bay Stuttgart fan podcast where our views are unofficial, uninformed, and usually unprepared. Joining us today, like he has last few episodes, is Matt. Matt, did you know that this is your 16th appearance and puts you in as the second most appearances on of any of our guests on this uh, podcast? I didn't, but I feel like I should have a cake or at least some cookies or something to celebrate this. <laughs> 16th appearance and hopefully uh, Shugart at least finishes above 16th place as the season goes on. So what about the match this weekend? What do we, the heck with the uh, introductions and niceties? Let's just jump right into this one. Um, just give me your thoughts right now. It was an exciting game. Uh, it was a little tense for a while for me, um, maybe gripping the sides of the couch a little harder than I meant to. But um, Stuttgart controlled the run of play for long stretches of it. We had a lot of chances. It'd be nice if we converted a few more of those. But <laughs> it's really, really exciting and really promising to see so many good opportunities being made and that were just inches off of, you know, three or four more goals in this one. It was a lot of fun. You know, it was a great match. Kicker gave it a 2.5 rating. The, um, it'll be interesting, too, because we'll get into this later. You had a little Twitter debate with a Hertha Berlin fan. And I was just enjoying watching from the sidelines as this thing was descending more and more each tweet. But uh, yeah, the amount of chances Stuttgart had, the amount of opportunities they didn't take, uh, but it just made for a great match, a great result. We were joking off the air that if you had Marcus Vindrill and Stuttgart together on a Saturday, you're gonna have you're gonna have some chaos, entertaining chaotic football. Uh, so this was a Schwab and Derby, right? We had Augsburg visiting Stuttgart. Uh, let me ask you this real quick. Uh, of all the derbies that Stuttgart may or may not have, so you've got Hoffenheim, Freiburg, uh, Karlsruhe, who is you know in the second division, Augsburg. Which one of those gets your uh, gets your blood boiling the most? I feel like I get the most excited about Augsburg right now, <clears throat> probably just because we've spent the most time with them in the Bundesliga. I think mm -hmm. if Karlsruhe uh, was capable of playing first division football and we saw them more regularly, that might be the more intense rivalry because they're right in Stuttgart. But yeah, it's Augsburg's one of those teams like you always feel like they're going to go down and they never do. And they're not good, but they beat us. And that's really frustrating. <laughs> Yeah, it's the same. I, I would like it to be Freiburg simply because that's Austin's team who is often on the podcast, but I actually like Freiburg too much to want to be a derby with them. Same thoughts with Karlsruhe. They basically don't exist if you're an American fan. Yeah, they never play. Hoffenheim is either way ahead of us or they're just too small of a club, which sounds weird because they're a pretty big club, but geographically they're pretty small. So I'm with you too. Augsburg is a team that you're always looking forward to on the schedule because you think, okay, we can get three points here. But historically, it's always been a rough go and a rough match. I mean, they've got some connections to Stuttgart, right? They had Marcus Meinsreld, who's their coach, who was our coach during the relegation season. They had that American player, Pepe, who uh, didn't even play this weekend or, or make the, the lineup for them at all. So I'm with you on Augsburg. Uh, any general thoughts on, on this team coming into this match? Were you worried? Were you optimistic? How are you feeling? I was feeling pretty good. The The way we came back for the draw last week uh, was promising. Um, we're becoming a second half team, which is interesting. But just the 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 attack that we're generating, the, the chances that we're creating, it's hard not to feel like we're starting to turn a corner and making things happen. Yeah, let's get into that a little bit because 
one of the things that I've talked about the last couple of years is that I'm always nervous about the fan support in the stands, not because it's bad support, because I just always felt it was too much pressure on the players. And I totally flipped 180 degrees because I think, and you, I think we saw it on Saturday too, is that the supporters are helping to drive this club and, and during their kind of dark moments. And I think we saw that on Saturday. So the fact that we're 50,000 plus supporters in the stands for 11 of the 20 Sugar players who were dressed up this weekend, for 11 of them, this was the first time they'd ever been in a sold out arena at Mercedes-Benz. I mean, that had to be crazy for them, nerve wracking for them. And to have the result that they had just had to be, not to be cheesy, but a really special moment. Um, I watched the end of that game multiple times and I went on Twitter and I saw a bunch of the reactions afterwards. I mean, thoughts on the support, thoughts on playing in front of a, a basically a sold out stadium. There, there is something about having the, there's gotta be something about having the crowd there. Cause like, I, I was fortunate enough uh, about five years ago, I was in Nuremberg for work and I took a weekend jaunt down the Stuttgart and it was on an international break. So I didn't get to see a game, but I got a stadium tour and they take you through the tunnel that goes out onto the field and they play the oh, music wow. and the whole thing. And you get chills just doing that in an empty arena. Um, I can't imagine the, just the adrenaline running through those guys' veins when they do that, when there's a bunch of people out there singing and cheering for them. And it's, it's gotta be a boost. It has to be. And it was Sven Mislintat said after the game, and I think I might use this quote in our title is, he was talking about the crowd. You have a horny voice. God, I love human <laughs> translation. I have no idea what that means, but that sounds great. Uh, he finished up saying the absolutely outstanding thing were the fan reactions after they went down 0-1 and 1-2. There was no whistle. The entire stadium was behind us. And you and I have talked about that before is we've, we've kind of waited at different moments to see how the crowd would react during some negative play. And Sven was right. Uh, this team went down but the crowd was fully behind them. And whether it's tangible or intangible, it was just awesome to see the entire crowd, the players, the, the stadium, just all work together to get that goal. But Sven was right. I was interested to see if there'd be any whistles at halftime or anything like that, but no, not a one. And you feel like the crowd's got a sense that <clears throat> while the results haven't been there, that the teams had the deck stacked against them. And these guys are really given everything they got to try and, turn things around and right the ship and that the supporters know their role in that. And that's to be that loud voice to encourage the, the guys on the field. Yeah. And they certainly did that on Saturday. And, and let's get into that kind of a, that rough patch a little bit. The lineup was pretty much the same outside of Hikori Ito, who was out because of COVID. So he missed training today as well, because he's still out with COVID. I kind of want to jump right into the game now and, and let's talk with Hikori. I think, We've been singing his praises, you in particular, for quite some time. And that first Augsburg goal, you'll never know, but I definitely thought we missed Ito, you know, from the get-go. There was a cross uh, from Augsburg over to Han that just went over Sosa. Sosa's not the biggest player around. I was thinking after that goal went in, had Hikori been in the match, he clears that. He has been really, really good about dealing with long crosses and and getting, if not getting ahead to the ball necessarily getting his body in position to make life difficult for the attackers mm -hmm. so yeah I can I can see where you'd think that and it did just looked like a defensive breakdown like the the guys that were in the thick of that weren't sure what the other guy was doing and that's the big thing 
playing defense, there's so much nonverbal communication and so much trust you have to have with the guy next to you that anytime that lineup changes, it can be disrupting. So having Ito be out, um, yeah, I could see how it would really make life difficult. Yeah, and it, it, it looked like it was going to be another Stuttgart classic game, right? Because Augsburg gets that early goal, and Augsburg is well known for taking, not getting a lot of chances and then parking the bus. And so we kind of knew what we were up against. And the rest of the first half, Tiago had a chance in the 20th minute. Uh, Kalajic had a chance at the you know 30th minute. Endo had another chance at the 40th minute. Um, it was just free kick after free kick after free kick. And as we got closer and closer to halftime, I was just chalking this up as one of those matches where we're going to have twice as many shots as these guys, but it's going to be another bad luck match. And thankfully, we have one left foot on this team <laughs> that can make that all go away. 44th minute. Uh, what was the better play, Sosa's cross or Anton's header into the net? Ah, that's an impossible. That's like asking which one of your children you love the best. Um, you did that yeah. off the air. Yeah. <laughs> and you're going to take that answer to your grave. Um, <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> I'm going to give Anton the header, his header, the, the nod on this, simply because Sosa's amazing crosses have become routine and we've come to expect them and he does them with such regularity. And Anton, if I remember right, he got off to a hot start for us and then kind of disappeared for a little while. So right. seeing him uh, get on the scoreboard, put one in the net was really awesome. Yeah, I, I, it's hard to go against Anton in this one. I'm going to go with Sosa. It's an easy answer. But I remember the announcer saying during the match that Sosa put that ball in a place where there were two or three Stuttgart players there who could put a head on it. And Anton just happened to be the guy who did it. So it was an amazing cross, great use of uh, – Anton putting the ball in the net. Uh, Gregorich couldn't do anything to stop it. We're celebrating for exactly, I counted it, 104 seconds <laughs> before really something that has plagued this team all year long. What would you call? So 104 seconds later, Auger basically marches down the field. It's a series of errors. They kind of just poke the ball in the net. The defense kind of just splits like the Red Sea. We've seen this story before. Is, is this a lack of probably mostly lack of focus, but with everything this year on this team, it's a little bit of bad luck too. Yeah, it reminded me a little bit of that goal we gave up against Union Berlin in the first leg of the playoff relegation match where we finally go up 2-1 and not 30 seconds later, they hit a long ball down the field while the players were still celebrating. I thought. And sure enough, it's tied 2-2. Yeah, it reminded me like nobody was really set. They kind of thought the halftime whistle uh, was coming. I think one of the players, maybe it was Marmouche, kind of gave up because he thought, there was going to be a foul, but the referee allowed a play to continue. And sure enough, so we go into halftime, uh, down a goal yet again. Um, and the, as the second half starts up, Augsburg does what Augsburg does. They start parking the bus. They start subbing out offense, subbing in defense. I'm not being critical of it. It's it's their style. It's the way they play. It works. It, you know, we knew we were going into this. It was two weeks in a row. We were playing two gritty teams, Union last week and Augsburg this week. And then around the 60th minute mark or so, uh, Monterazzo makes a, the substitution. He pulls out Endo, puts in Mangala, and then about 10 minutes later, he puts in Tibidi for Karazor. So we're going all offense, full throttle, like you said earlier. Then it, I don't know if we should talk about Mangala first, if we should just jump to the free kick uh, that took place you know, in the 79th minute. Let's just jump to the free kick. All right, let's, let's ignore that stuff there. Um, what an amazing, I mean, I think they said it was the first time Sugar just had a free kick goal like that since Dadavi back in 2014 or 2013, something to that effect. 
I had lost focus for a minute because uh, my friend I was watching the game with, he's newish to soccer and he's very new to the Bundesliga. So um, a lot of questions, which makes watching the game really interesting from kind of a different standpoint because he's asking about things that I don't think about a whole lot. So I recommend to anybody, if you've got friends who are maybe on the line about watching soccer or something, sit down with them, watch a game with them <laughs> and just tell them, ask all the questions. It's, it, it's a fun, interesting way to watch the game. Um, but I just, we we're talking about something and saw the ball go in and I lost my mind and was like, finally. <laughs> well, it, it was funny because prior to that, there were calls for Marmouche to get pulled out of the game. He had had a couple missteps and a couple mistakes. Um, on Twitter, there were some calls for, listen, we got to get this kid out of there. He's being ineffective. And it was actually interesting. Kicker did an article on it that when they lined up for that free kick, Burich was the one who was supposed to take it. And I haven't seen the replay, but I guess if you watch a replay, you can see Marmouche just take the ball and line up like he's going to kick it, not even look at Furich. And Furich is looking to Monterato like, hey, what's going on? I'm the free kick guy. And Mom. Monterato, yeah. Mom. <laughs> and Monterato answered today, it's like, that. that's not his job. Whoever is, somebody feels they're on a hot streak, he's going to let them you know, go on a hot streak. And Sure enough, so there was a little bit of uh, consternation and conflict right before the kick took took place, but he just curled that thing. And um, the Augsburg keeper, Greg Rich, is a really good keeper, in my opinion, and he couldn't even get a finger on this ball. The place goes nuts. It's two to two. We got 10 minutes left in this match. That last 10 minutes, uh, to kind of piggyback off what you said, if you're trying to get somebody into the Bundesliga, one, have them watch a Stuttgart match because yes. win or lose, it should be entertaining. And two, that last 10 to 15 minutes was just heart racing up and down, multiple chances for Stuttgart. Augsburg hit one off the crossbar. I was, at that point, I was kind of in my head, I was like, all right, am I happy with the draw? Because we've got one point. Or should we just go all the way for it and try to get three? Because this club has broken our heart in the past. And... Tiago Thomas was not going to let our heart be broken. No. And it was what was great. So in the 85th minute, Sosa has a free kick. It is punched out by the Augsburg keeper. So we all know what happens. Tiago just smashes that ball to smithereens. 85th minute, puts it away. I want to talk about the celebration here for a second. Because. Well, real quick, before we get to celebration, I want to give Tomas a little bit of extra credit and pump his tires up a little bit. Because like you said, that was a real acute angle. He had the keeper flying at him late in the game, a lot of pressure right in front of the curve. Mm. It To bury that showed a lot of focus and just the talent level that this kid has. And it was amazing. Because that, like, that reminded me of that weird goal that Sosa scored early in the season oh, um, yeah. from real close when he put it into the roof of the net from mm. an angle like that. It's just a really, really tough shot to make. And to do that in crunch time was really impressive. It was crazy deserved. It was a just great shot. And then the place goes bananas. Everybody goes nuts. Absolutely. Now, and I mean, everybody goes nuts. I mean, my favorite part was, I would say, Matarazzo sprinting down the pitch, running into the crowd with the players, uh, hugging the players. There was a really cool scene where him and Omar get into this, like, uh, faux shoving match. It was just, it was... <laughs> For somebody who is has a reputation as being very mathematical and analytical and not emotional, I saw a lot of emotion from that guy on Saturday. He does tend to 
you know, stand on the sideline with his hands in his pockets and, you know, shouting commands out here and there, but he, he is a very stoic presence on the sidelines. And it was so much fun to see him just explode like that in the best way possible. And my buddy I was watching the game with is like, who is that guy? Like, is there some rando who stands down on the field? No, that's the head coach. <laughs> I do just I, thought, I do like too how Fritzel, the team mascot, is often included in the huddles and the celebrations. Yes. And I often wonder, is that like Dadavi? Is he there? Is is, is there a player on the <laughs> in that uniform? Because they often treat the mascot, who in the, the American sports is barely let on the field, yeah. as one of their own. I always love that. I, I watched, I was watching a replay package while I was eating my lunch today and noticed that the guys gave Fritzel a huge hug after they scored and was like, that's so, like, that's heartwarming. That's great. Right. Who is inside there? That's so great. That, the other thing I thought was really cool, and I watched, um, whenever Stuttgart wins, my wife's like, okay, I get it. We're going to have to watch this match three times today. <laughs> <laughs> I replayed it a couple of times. Um, Sasha Kalajic didn't have his best game right he didn't score a goal and in his profession if he doesn't score it's not a great game still think he did a great job holding the ball up and he was on the wings at, at certain times as well and mm-hmm. um it was it was kind of cool how they were rotating like tiago and omar flipped on the left and right side a few times uh, kalajic was up there i watched all three goals that kalajic was not in any way a part of he celebrated like he had scored each one of those goals and I think this goes to kind of what you were saying with Monterey. So, and you and Fritzel a little bit is that whether this team survives or not, there's definitely a team chemistry here where these yeah. guys are on board with each other. Um, it's definitely a cliche that they care about each other, that they're a team slash family. But by all accounts, Sosa and Kalajic are really good friends. Um, Omar is a player on 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 loan who isn't supposed to be in our long term plans, and he's hugging Monterey like he's his dad. You've got guys like Sasha celebrating goals where he's not even a part of, and that's what he's getting paid to do. So I just thought there was it was such an important result for a lot of different reasons, but it got the monkey off the back. It showed a comeback yet again, got us up to 14th place, but just being able to see the guys celebrate again and being able to see how much everybody cares about the whole process, uh, to me, was just just fantastic. Yeah, and it, we, we like to think that, you know, the guys are all buddies and they hang out off the field. Um, you know, and we need to remember that they're coworkers. And while you have some coworkers that you're excited to see outside of work and <laughs> hang out with a little bit, there are others you would rather not see even at work. Um, <laughs> so it, it's, it's really exciting to see that, that they've got this great relationship and that everybody seems so pumped. And with, with Sasa, I feel like he's not getting enough credit for the complete player that he is since it's March Madness right now, you know, we're, we're steeped in the college basketball stuff. And um, a term I've been seeing a lot to, to discuss players is they have gravity. So they cause the defense, the defense to react just by them being out on the floor. And I feel like Sasa has gravity out on the field. Guys have to account for him and where he is. So even if he's not touching the ball, if he's not the one shooting or scoring, um, he's opening space up for the other guys just by being there. And I think that he knows that and uses his position really effectively to, to create space for his teammates. Yeah, hundred percent agree. And speaking of that space with the result at the end of the match with the table setting now, so Stuart moves up to 26 points in 14th 
place, but the table's tight. So you've got Stuttgart in 14th place with 26 points. You've got Augsburg in 15th place with 26 points. You have uh, Billefeld, who was blown out by Mines in 17th place with 25 points. And you have Hertha, who had the surprise of the weekend by uh, they destroyed Hoffenheim. They're now in 16th place with, you guessed it, 26 points. Augsburg also has a game in hand. They have to make up a game against mine. So nothing's nearly close to over at this point, but it was just awesome to get that result. What was the bigger surprise to you? Was it Stuttgart having their third comeback result in a row, or was it Hertha Berlin getting that big win to kind of reset their uh, their season? Oh, Hertha winning was a way bigger surprise to me. Like Stuttgart has shown us that they're a team that doesn't quit and that will – go real hard until the absolute last whistle of the game. And so it makes sense that we're seeing some comeback stuff and, uh, you know, the kids are able to recover from mistakes that they might make early on. But Herta Berlin's been just a complete dumpster fire for a while. And the fact that they won anything, you know, if you told me they won the race to the mailbox in the morning, I'd have been shocked. <laughs> Especially since they were just lampooned all week long for the higher of their new coach. And I don't even think he was there. He had COVID. So, I mean, he figured something out, I guess, but yeah, that was a, that was a disappointing result from a Shugart perspective because I fully yeah. expected them to get hammered and lose the next eight in a row, you know, but now they've got a little bit of life and the stable's just gotten a lot, a lot closer and a lot tighter. I, I do want to, before we wrap up, I want to leave off. And I don't know if Matt, if you saw this or if any of our listeners remember, but there was a, a defensive player named Pablo Mafia, who was going to be the next big thing. Stuttgart paid, I think, over 10 million euro for him from, I think, Manchester City, or one of the Premier League teams. And Mafia came to Stuttgart, and he hated every single second of it. He despised it. He got suspended from the team to the point where he has been on multiple loans back to his home uh, league in Spain. So it turned out one of the people who sent out a tweet congratulating Stugart after the win was Pablo Mafio. You're like, wait a minute. He doesn't want to come back to Stugart. He, he's, he's made it very clear he doesn't like Stugart. And people are kind of questioning, what is this about? So then it came out that he and Marcus Vinesrill do not have the best relationship. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it's good to know that uh, there's somebody as spiteful out there as we are. <laughs> doing this um before we move on to part uh our next part here any last thoughts about the match uh, about Augsburg going forward anything that stuck out to you I I love beating the fighting pineapples and I know it's supposed to be an acorn it looks like a pineapple it's the hill I will die on uh <laughs> love beating Augsburg I I loved that Stuttgart played a really fun exciting brand of football and was rewarded for it um and it's really, really nice to see these guys who have been busting their butts for so long, finally starting to get some success and seeing some results. There was just so much positive. We didn't even talk about Alexis Tibbity, who was back from uh, being benched for disciplinary reasons. And he came on the pitch around the 77th minute. And there's just something Played about well. that. Yeah, there's something about that kid. He is, the ball is drawn to him. Other defenders are drawn to him. He is fouled all the time and they're legitimate fouls they're not mm -hmm. omar marmouche nico gonzalez ah there's a flower falling down stuff so there's something special about this kid and it was good to see him back because i agree with you he made a difference when he 
he got in there as well. So there's all kinds of positive stuff. There's all kinds of good stuff. Not surprisingly, the questions that came in this week were positive as well. So Matt, why don't we jump uh, jump on to, uh, to that next part, headlines and questions. So in this part, Matt, we usually start off with you and your social media expertise. Discord, was it nuts this week? I did not watch the Discord live because I was interacting with a real live human being who was in the <laughs> same room as I was, which was weird. Um, but a lot of fun. I recommend it. should try it sometime. Social interaction. Uh, yeah. But I did because despite the fact you say that we are unprepared, I did go back through and read the whole game thread on the Discord because I have some dedication. Oh. Um, and man, it was an emotional roller coaster. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a lot of up, a lot of down. Uh, no love at all for Marcus Weinzierer. Mm -hmm. And in that group, um, just nothing positive to say about that man and nothing I would repeat in front of my children, <laughs> but a lot of, a lot of celebration when things went right at the end and a lot of belief from the, the discord crew that Stuttgart could turn it around and that it was just, you know, minor setbacks when Augsburg scored. Uh, I don't, didn't feel like the, the group there ever seemed to lose faith that we had a chance. It's funny that the Marcus lines are, he is probably of my fandom, and it's so irrational. And I'm, I actually have an active dislike for the man, and, which is totally unfair. I've never met him. He's obviously an accomplished coach. I saw that he was one of the, he was the first, he accomplished 100 Bundesliga losses faster than any other Bundesliga coach in Bundesliga history. I mean, but that means he's been around and he's had success at Augsburg. So, I mean, there's that. So I don't know what it is about that guy. But I'm with Pablo Mafio. I'm in the Discord group. I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan either. I don't know why I have this active dislike of the man. He's probably a real nice guy. Maybe him and I can sit down over. What is the, uh, what do you think the local beverage is in Pineapple Land? Pineapple juice, something with a cocktail made with pineapple juice. Yeah, I don't know why it took us so long to come up with pineapple juice. When we both call it. <laughs> That's not, huh? Anyway. All we're, right. we're getting old, Travis. Yeah, <laughs> the mind isn't working as well as it once did, and that's not a good, not a good sign here. Well, let's move on to some headlines. So the big news is that Alexander Verla is now the acting CEO, replacing Tomas Hitzelsberger as chairman of this kind of the sporting side of of Stuttgart. And this is kind of a big deal because when Hitzelsberger announced that he was going to leave, there were questions whether Sven Mislintat would leave as well. And Kicker reported today, uh, Sven was quoted saying that Alex has worked in a similar environment, comes from the corner, was at Bafi uh, before, knows exactly what a club like that means, and went on to say that, you know, he's the best guy they could have hired for the job. So it looks like, it looks like it's quite positive with this new hire coming over from Cologne, and Cologne's had nothing but success, so that can't go bad <laughs> at all. But this led to one of the questions, Teddy uh, down in Cincinnati asked the question, can you guys get into the Hitzelsberger business? I'm sure I can track down the background on his leaving, and maybe there's nothing interesting there, but I'd rather hear it in your velvety tones than read it myself. There's a lot to unpack there. Ted Teddy. doesn't know how to read, number one. <laughs> number two, he thinks we sound good, so. I, first, Ted, I want to know what kind of headphones you use, because <laughs> uh, they are clearly malfunctioning. And also why you think it's appropriate to ask us to do your homework for you. Well, in his defense, he did say maybe there's nothing interesting there. We are the kings of nothing interesting. <laughs> ah, he's got us there. <laughs> so we should be able to we should be able to cover this. 
All right, so Ted, to try to answer this, uh, you know, Matt and I kind of did a little bit of a deep dive. And so if you go into Germany, there are three types of clubs, right? There's a pure members club, uh, like a Freiburg, I think is a pure members club. Um, there's a members club that is spun off its team into a separate company, which is what Stuttgart is. And then you have a company controlled club like Wolfsburg, for example. So the controversial issue was in 2017, there was a vote to make the club uh, kind of split to where you had the EV, the club, and you had the AG, the company. The reason why the AG is a big deal is because you can have a company like Mercedes-Benz, for example, invest money into that. So there was going to be a vote to decide what Stuttgart should do. And I remember this was a big controversial issue back in 2016 and 2017 because we were in the second league at that time. And the president at the time, a guy named Wolfgang Dietrich, basically said, if we don't do this, we will basically become extinct, right? He was, there was a lot of uh, saber rattling. Yeah, it was pushed uh, mainly, as I recall, as a, a money raising um, effort in that we, we can't, couldn't in the, the member driven setup that we had, we were unable to sell shares uh, to external investors to raise funds to try and boost our chances of getting back up. And so it was a really, I remember watching some um, YouTube videos of the meetings and they were very contentious. The meeting takes place and the motion passes. So 84% of the, the 11,000 or 12,000 who attended the meeting uh, voted for it. So it passed pretty uh, unanimously here. So what then happened, so now Stuttgart has the club, the EV, but also the company, the AG. And Mercedes-Benz gave $40 million, I think it was, to take about 10 or 12% ownership of the club. So now Stuttgart is definitely part of the 50 plus one rule where we can sell, what is it, 49% of the club basically to raise money. And members are the 50 plus one who can vote to determine who's on the board, who's the president, you know, things like that. So it was a very contentious decision, but it was made under the guise that, hey, we need money or else we're going to fall behind. You know what the thing I always thought was odd about that is we sold Benjamin Favard the next season for like 30 million euro, you know, dollars. And I always thought we just sold 11% of our team for one Benjamin Pavard, and that sounds like a bad, bad deal. Well, anyway, long story short, 2017 Stuttgart is now a club and a company with, with the soccer club. And now we got to take a step back and we enter Tomas Hitzelsberger. Okay, Tomas Hitzelsberger played professionally for a decade from about 2001 to 2010, almost 100 games for Aston Villa, over 100 games for Stuttgart, won a title for Stuttgart, 50 games for Germany, by all accounts, just an amazing player, you know, for that decade that he played. And he was very diverse. He was uh, very open about anti-racism in football. And then in 2014, after he retired, he was the first professional footballer to come out as gay. And so he's just been, we're renowned as this very diverse, very well-spoken guy. And he started to work for Stuttgart in 2016 and worked his way up the ladder until he eventually became in 2019 in charge of the sporting uh, department replacing, you know, Michael Reschke, who was let go during our second relegation season. So he had a really fast move through the management of Stuttgart. All right. So during that 2019 season, Dietrich, who was the president, is forced to step down. People didn't like him for a number of reasons. And I truly don't understand all of that. But I know part of it was uh, maybe you know more about that than I do. I, I can't recall all the reasons he was misled. 
there was some controversy around um, transparency and reporting that the club was supposed to be doing out to the supporters groups and uh, that he was dodging things by reclassifying them and just not releasing all the information he was supposed to. And the, the supporters groups from the stuff that I was reading really, really were not pleased with the way things were going. And that, and that transparency word is a big deal. So Dietrich is gone in 2019 and Klaus Vogt, who's a current president, is elected. Now his background, he started FC Fair, uh, Playfair, which is about integrity and professional football and standards and things like that. So he was a big uh, draw for the supporters groups as kind of the anti-Dietrich. And what came out of all of this is that in January of 2021, there's another election about to come up. Okay, at this point, we've got Klaus Vogt and we've got Tomas Hitzelsberger, who everybody thinks are getting along just, just well. But then what happens in January of 2021? Uh, Tomas Hitzelsberger sends out a four page letter just slamming Klaus Vogt about what a bad guy he is, how he's not transparent. Vogt responds with a letter of his own. Everybody's surprised what's going on. And it turns out that the big issue goes back to 2017 and something called the data scandal or the data affair. And so what, what had happened in, in 2021, uh, Balfi was found guilty of this and was fined 300,000 euros that they had passed on members data without their permission to third parties to help push the PR for the spinoff to become this new structure. And I don't know a ton about data or a ton about the privacy angle, but the little bit I've read is that the Germans are super, super uptight about that stuff. Maybe uptight's the wrong word, but they were really they're, upset about this. They're very protective. And the, um, the European Union has a thing called the GDPR, the General Data Protection Rule. And uh, we've entered my, my realm professionally. <laughs> here. Uh, but it, it was largely seen that... Um, the whole idea is that a company can't keep data on you without your permission. And if you ask for it to be removed, they're required to remove it. And if they don't, there's really, really steep fines. And it was viewed throughout Europe and really globally that this was a rule pushed by the Germans um, to adhere to the German philosophy and feeling around uh, individual data and protection of that data and personal privacy. Um, and that a lot of the other countries weren't real excited about it, but Germany pushed real hard and it got passed. So we've got, Stuttgart is found guilty of passing on data, which is a big no-no internationally, but especially in, in Germany. And Ted, sorry to bore you with all of that international law, but this ties- This is what you get for asking questions, Ted. <laughs> yeah, do your own reading next time, pal. So what happens is before Stuttgart is found guilty of, or is fined of this, Klaus vote hires a law firm to investigate this. Hitzelsberger wants an internal Stuttgart-led organization to investigate this. And from all accounts, that's where this conflict started and where it ended. And from the people on Hitzelsberger's side, they said, listen, you're spending too much money investigating something that is old news. It doesn't matter anymore. Keep this in-house. From the Klaus vote side, they said, listen, this is an important privacy issue. And plus, Tomas, what are you trying to hide? Are you part of the old regime? So when all was said and done, in March of 2021, Stuart was fine. Later that spring, Klaus Vogt won the election. Uh, Tomas 
Pittsburgh had pulled himself out by that point. And basically, Pittsburgh had lost the power struggle between himself and Klaus Vogt, and really had lost a lot of support from the Stuttgart faithful. Am I right? Yeah, it felt it felt like Hitz wanted to keep this internal, keep it quiet. And I get that you don't want to air your dirty laundry if you don't have to. And Vogt was pushing the uh, you know sunshine is the best disinfectant angle. And I I get it from both ends, but I, I feel like kind of professionally and reputationally, Hitz really took a hit. <laughs> um, <Hey>. by... <laughs> I'm sorry, the dad jokes are strong. Uh, just, it, it just, it wasn't great that he ended up on the losing side of this. And I feel like he probably thought, you know, maybe it's time that he let somebody else run things for a little while. Yeah. From what I remember is that he was, Hitz was being a, associated with the old regime um, that tried to cover things up, that was not being transparent, that he had gotten some really bad advice to run against Klaus Vogt, that his name as an athlete and as a fan favorite would overarch any of this data stuff. And that at the end of the day, the fan base just wasn't seeing it and wasn't buying it. So Ted, to the best of our knowledge, that <laughs> is what led to the split between Hitzelsberger and Klaus Vogt and why, in part, Tomas is, is walking on and moving on. And it's funny, as he's left, though, and he, he hasn't decided what he's going to do. He's, he's leaving the door open for a number of things. He's still very well-respected and loved you know, by the fan base for everything he did back in the 2000s. Uh, his stance on social issues is very much in line with what Stuttgart's stance is. Yeah, so that's kind of our deep dive on, on the issue there. It sounds like you know fences have been mended and people are relatively – okay, you know, with where they're at now. But to bring this back to Ted's question a little bit, one of the, as an American supporter, why was this issue so important? One of the issues was where did Sven Mislintat fall on this? Because there was a fear that if Hisselsberger left and he and Sven had a very good relationship that would Sven leave and none of us want that to happen. So yeah. that's where this kind of hit the fan base again because everybody was really on team Klaus vote, the president, of the club but we're also on team Sven who is putting this club together and the worst fear was we get the president we want but we lose the diamond eye who's put this club together but it sounds like as of this recording everybody's on the same page everybody's uh, working together that Sven and the new CEO of sport are are going to make it work and you know, knock on wood that things will be on the same page moving forward it, it feels a lot like Hitz uh, realized that trying to run for president was a mistake. And um, he just realized, you know, taking that action, put some, some big walls up, and it was going to be really hard to mend those while he was in place. And so for the good of the organization, he stepped down. And it feels like Sven and Klaus Vogt and everybody gets that and is on board with it and is being supportive. Um, and shocker they're all being adults and moving on with this in a, a positive thing so or in a positive way so I, I think that's a good thing long term for the uh for the club yeah so it looks like it's all going to work out uh in the end so we wish tomas uh, the best as he moves forward and you know hopefully uh, Stuart continues to move forward so but we got to talk about the now matt so joe asked a question about the now and he says uh how did your rook runda predictions pull up to the present day bundesliga so i i went back and you 
Rob, Joe, Captain Armadillo, Doug, Ted, Robin, Josh, Jens. We all predicted Jens is the winner. He predicted 14th place, 10. You look at you and your optimism. Silly, silly optimist. I had 16th, so look at that. Here we go. Yeah, Ted had 11th, Doug had 13th, Joe had 9, Matt had 10, Rob had 12, Robin had 13, Jens had 14, I had 16. So kind of all around that, that area there. And who knows what could happen in the next you know, few matches or so. Because Austin, who used to be on this podcast, sent in a question as well. He says, in the last seven games, Stuttgart have managed at least one goal, but they haven't had a clean sheet since the first match to start the second half of the season. Their last win clean sheet was against Wolfsburg in match 15. Are there defensive issues, still injuries, or is it Mueller, or is it something deeper? Matt, what do you think? I think it's a little bit Mueller. I've been saying this for a while. He doesn't have great command of the box. He's supposed to be the organizing force back there, um, and I don't think he's really doing a great job. Uh, a little bit is, is the defense itself, though. We don't we don't have a, a solid veteran presence back there who can calm things down and help Mueller direct traffic. Uh, so it, it, we're, we're suffering from that and injuries have been injuries and illness has been killing us all year. So that's just, you know, it's more, more to pile on, but I think it's a, a little combination of everything. Yeah. I think it's the deeper thing. I just think part of this is the system and this is the way we play and we play aggressive and, Sometimes when you play aggressive, you leave things open at the back. Uh, Ito being out, you know, hurt like we mentioned earlier. But I thought Mueller had a pretty good game on Saturday. The system that Monterazzo plays is an aggressive system. And it's made – there used to be this theory on Gladbach, I think, back in the 70s or the 80s, where they said, you know, we're just – we don't care how many goals we give up. We're just going to score one more than you. And their matches would be like seven to five, six to four, stuff like that. And, not that Monterazzo has that approach, but I do have the feeling that this is a team that's built on offense as opposed to defense, and it's built to score two to three goals a game, as opposed to like Union Berlin, perhaps, that's built to shut people down. So I'm going to go with, I, I get that Ito was out with a COVID injury, but I'm going to go more with, this is the system we have, and it's, I think as long as Monterazzo is the, the head coach of this team, I think we're always going to believe goals a little bit at the back. And, and now, now that you say that, you know, last year we won a lot of games by scoring three goals and giving up one or two. Um, and we had a really good goalie in Gregor Kobo back there, and we don't have Kobo back there to clean up some of those messes. We've got the much more human Florian Muller, so we're, we're bound to give up a little more. But, yeah, the, the system is geared less towards protecting our goal than attacking the opponent's goal. And with that, combined with the youth at defense and the inexperience and the injuries we've seen is a recipe to not have any clean sheets. Right. And that goes up to Captain Armadillo's questions. Do we need to go behind in every remaining match in order to come out ahead after 90 yes. minutes? As long as we can turn those the chances we're creating into goals, that's fine. Mm -hmm. It would be crazy to get a boring 2-0 win. Yeah, what fun is that if you're not, you know, <laughs> death gripping your seat? with 10 minutes to go and hoping that we get a last minute go ahead goal. Yeah. Yeah. Right. This is a made for TV drama right here. Speaking of drama coming up, the village footballer asks with the fixture Stuttgart have left surely next week is another must win versus Bellefeld. 
yes or no? Oh, yeah, I, I think we really, Bielefeld's a team we should beat by about a billion. Um, <laughs> and so if, if we don't, uh, that'd be real rough. I was going to say, no, it's not a must win, but that hurt the Berlin victory really has me worried. We'll talk about DSC here in a minute. They're really struggling. They've lost four in a row. So they could be the new team of the uh, flavor of the month, really, that's that's just going south here. So I'm going to say, I mean, we still have Hertha Berlin on the schedule. Uh, we still have Cologne on the schedule. Boy, oh, boy, got to get a result there, too. I mean, basically, this is almost like, it's almost like every game is a playoff game at this point. There's very yeah. few games. There's the Dortmund game and the Bayern game, the two games where you're like, well, all right, if we go over, we get it. But the rest of these, that's five games. we got to try to pick up as many five to 15 points as, as we can. And this gets to uh, the second part of Village Footballers' question is, do you think the international break has come at a bad time for us, stalling out the momentum of seven points for three games? I mean, Endo is going to be gone on break. Kalajic's gone on break. marmouche has gone on break. Bornesos has gone on break. Dino's gone on break. Mangala's gone on break. Even Fahir and Mola and my buddy Baez are gone on break. That's a lot of the team. And then it came out today, Forrester has COVID. Ito still has COVID. Karazor uh, is resting his back. Egloff's back has been an issue for a while. Some of those guys are big players. Some of them are not. But, boy, I do think we had some momentum going for us. And I think Bielefeld had some momentum going against them. You, Matt, got an interesting debate with a Hertha fan, Anna, about this, uh, this same issue. You want to dive into that? Yeah, it's much the, the same as what you're saying. I, I do worry that we could stall, you know, the, this good momentum that we've built. But also, you know, we every time we see Endo come back from international duty, Japan relies so heavily on him that he comes back and for the first two weeks, he's not quite himself. And it's really nice to have players of the caliber of an, of Wataru Endo, who's national team, lives and breathes by them but it also kind of sucks when they come back from international duty because mm -hmm. they're gassed so i'm i'm worried about it but at the at the same time you know moderato has shown that he he's good at using these breaks to kind of reset things and recalibrate the team and the mentality and where things are so i can i can see him making hay out of it but i can also see it really breaking bad on us you wish the Dortmund game was first, or are you glad the Bielefeld game is right after the break? Uh, I'm glad the Bielefeld game is right after the break. Well, right. so I guess my, my gut reaction is to say Bielefeld because we should throttle them, but Dortmund were likely to get throttled. So <laughs> maybe it'd be better to have uh, that first game be Dortmund and just take our licks and go, okay, this was our get back game. Right. Yeah. yeah I don't good. know. Kind of where my head's at, you know, too, on that one. Yeah, I agree. I think this the break came at a bad time for us. We finally got some momentum going. So it's a bummer to see that uh, come to an end. But it's, you know, good for the guys to get out a little bit. Hopefully they get a little bit of rest. And, you know, we come back, you know, fired up for the, the last seven matches, you know, of the season. I kind of skipped through this question a little bit, but it, Dino is a player who's technically on loan. Omar's a player who's, you know, on loan. We've got Robin... Ask this question. Okay, if you're Sven Wisselntot and Verilot tells you that the sponsorship money from Red Stripe, all right, is enough to only sign, we did it, one of your players who are on loan to a permanent contract, which one stays? So for the purpose of this question, I'm going to say our players who are on loan are 
Omar Marmouche, Tiago Thomas, and the only other one I can think of is Dino Mavropanos. Okay. And if there's a fourth one, let me know. So of those three, which one would you use our red stripe money to keep? I think I'm going to have to say hooray to uh, Tiago Tomas because as awesome as Dino has been, he's, he's been a little spotty the last couple weeks. And we've got Ito now uh, showing up who can pair in the back. Marmouche has been a lot of fun. I like that kid more every week, uh, but I don't feel like he's had quite the impact that uh, Tiago Tomas has. He, he got to Stuttgart and immediately we had more attack we're creating more chances. We're causing more problems for opposing defenses. He's just been an amazing addition. It's crazy because one of the things we were hoping for for the season was Kalajic up front, Sosa and Silas on the wings. And that never really transpired. So, but now we've got Kalajic up front. We've got Sosa on one wing. We've got Tiago Thomas on the other wing. We have Omar, who's actually playing really well of late. You've got Furich, who's playing pretty. So it, in a roundabout way, it sort of happened, not how we expected. My initial response is going to be Dino Mavropanos because I think you build from the back. He's a strapping, just huge defensive player who I think is only going to get better. But in Monterato's system, you need goals. And Tiago Thomas has shown that he can score goals in spades. And he's making us – how crazy is this? He's making it so we don't miss Silas as much as we probably should miss Silas. And um, that's nuts. Right. So that's crazy. And he seems to be integrating quite well into the club. He's doing quite well for the club. And so I would probably spend our red stripe money on him, but hopefully we've got a little bit left to where you and I can share a tasty, tasty red stripe. Mm. And how nice is it that we legitimately can't pick between the three, that these three lone players are all so good and have all been having such a positive impact that it's not an immediate like this dude. That's a fantastic one. It's almost like having Mangala on the bench. You're like, well, yeah, he's one of our best players, but you bring him on in the 60th minute and he's fresh. He's significantly better than anybody else that's out there. To be able to have that kind of depth is kind of awesome here. Well, Matt, let's talk about our predictions for next week. So we've got the international break coming up and we'll wrap up the podcast here. Uh, last week, you and I went three and five. I'm in the lead with 122 wins. Austin and you are now tied with 116 wins. Jeff's at 100. Take that, Austin. You are coming for him. Uh, let's go to it. So in 37 Bundesliga games, Stuttgart leads the series against Bielefeld, 15 wins to 12 losses. But we haven't beaten them in the Bundesliga since 2007. So, yikes. Uh, Feels bad, man. Yeah, we haven't scored a goal against them since they've been promoted either. So, this is rough. We lost them zero to one in November. They're scruffling though. They've only scored one goal in their last six games. The last time we played them, Bredlow, Mola, Nardi, Dadavi, Massimo all started. Klimowitz, Fahir, Clement, and Maglika all came off the bench. <laughs> he was that center back who we had to put in a striker because we had nobody else. So just like the last time we played Augsburg, you can't even compare these two teams uh, that are going up against them. Valpi's coming off three straight comeback results in a row, but the international break is messing with that momentum. Bielefeld has lost four in a row. What do you think the spread on this one is? It's at Bielefeld, so I'm going to say uh, they're giving Armenia a goal. Half a goal. So Val FB minus half a goal. So you're pretty good on this one. 
I am always scared to death of their goalkeeper Ortega. That guy is so <laughs> good. And I, yes, I want him on in Stuttgart forever and ever and ever. I'm going to, oh boy, I'll take Val Bay in this one because I, I got to. We're trending in the right direction. We've played two really gritty teams in a row and we've played attractive football in one of those matches and we played ugly football in the other match and we've gotten two results in a row. Um, Billefeld's going to play gritty football just like those two teams are. I think we've got the preparation and the skill set for it now. We come out of the international break healthy. I really like our chances in that one. I'll take Stuttgart minus half the goal. I think it, unless Armenia plays as dirty as Union Berlin did, I think we can handle them. And I like Stuttgart in that game too. Yeah, I'm going to call a – I think Kalajic's going to get off the schneid a little bit. I think he's going to get a get a goal here. Um, yeah, I, I'm cautiously optimistic, which is always a very dangerous place to be as a Stuttgart fan. <laughs> so I'm not too comfortable with that. And now I'm already reconsidering what I just said. So – well, hopefully we'll see how that goes. We've got Mexico versus United States coming up uh, this Thursday. So we already predicted that one. Matt, you took USA. I took Mexico. And that one, would you like to place a little wager? Or should we do a Modella versus a, uh, what is the, the national beverage of Michigan? A Bush Light or something? How dare you? <laughs> <clears throat> this, the great state of Michigan is one of the craft beeriest states in the entire country. So... Snack on that for lunch. We could go with a, an Arbor Brewing Co. Something, uh, something from Bell's, which is a national brand based in Michigan. Uh, shorts. Uh, there's a whole bunch of whole bunch of different options. How about I will find something special that you'll enjoy, a local Ann Arbor local, and bring right. it down for you. And I will go with our one and only craft brewery, Great Lakes, because it was named after our Great Lake, which has the most sunken ships in. A lake, I guess. So that's, that's a fun that, fact for you, Ted. That's something. <laughs> Just like this podcast was something. Well, <laughs> thanks again, Matt, for joining me. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Enjoy your international break. And uh...